Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Merry Christmas to everybody. This is our Christmas service. If you're joining us for the first time, just want to extend a very warm welcome from our family to yours. Um, this is a happy season. It is a joyous season. It is a merry season. It is a season of decorations, of parties, of family time, of feastings. It's gifts. It's festivities. The vibe in the air is warm and fuzzy, and that doesn't come with just the eggnog. But it is a time where even carols declare that it is the most wonderful time of the year, the happiest season of all. Christmas is indeed a happy and merry season. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 today, and we're going to look into the story of the first Christmas. This is the story of the birth of Jesus Christmas is a celebration of the arrival of Jesus. It is a joyous moment of interruption of a Savior coming into the world, a king establishing his kingdom, and this is something that brings hope, peace, joy, and love. This holiday is, um, is indeed merry. It's a merry Christmas. It should spark something more than a happy emotion, but something that is long-lasting. As we come into this Christmas season, I want to encourage us as we relive the emotions of that first Christmas, as we relive the, the story of that first Christmas. And so today we're going to look at two women that play an integral part of that first Christmas, and that's Elizabeth and Mary. But let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you today in just excitement of the season. Excitement and joy of this season that brings of love, laughter. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that as we look into your scripture today, as we look at the first Christmas, we remember what it is that we look forward to. We remember what it is that we're celebrating. We remember that it is Christ the King, Lord your God, the Savior of this world, coming into this, 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 this world. It is an expression of your heart and your love. So Father God, we just pray that as come into reading your word and studying your, your story and looking at what is written in the word, Lord, that you bring an encouragement to our heart and our spirit. So Lord, we thank you and pray all this is in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to kind of bounce around chapter 1 a little bit. This is the story of the birth of Jesus given, us, given to us in Luke, the only gospel in which we see this part of the story. It is one of overcoming great obstacles. It is one which requires courage to step into. The heart of these two women, Mary and Elizabeth, is really in many ways why God chose them specifically to do this is because Mary and Elizabeth both understood and held a posture and approach in living life with God. You see, there are two ways that we live life with God. The first is what I'm going to call the bottom-up way, or the me-to-God way. This way is usually we live life according to our experiences, and then we project that onto God. You see, the result of living that way is that when things are good, things are good. That God feels like he's our God, he's our Lord, he's close to us, that he loves me, that he cares for me. But when things are hard, you start to wonder 
is there really a God? You start to gravitate towards cynicism and you feel that God is very far and uninterested in your, in your life. Some of us live this way, where we start by living with our feelings and our, ex- our experiences and the sin and the sadness and the suffering that we, we, we feel, we project all of that to God. And therefore, God is like this because this is how I feel. When we live life this way, when we need him most is when we actually run away from him. Life becomes complicated. We rely on ourselves and we rely on ourselves to tackle life's problems. The second way that we look at living life with God is actually what we're going to call the top-down approach. And the top-down approach is this. It assumes that God is who he says he is. That the Bible is true and that it reveals the character, the nature, and the will of God to us. And that believing and then interpreting all of our life in light of what God has to do. That God has a plan and that he is working out this plan and unfolding through history and through our present to be a redeemer and liberator and our savior. To know that life of sin and suffering and sadness that is experienced is not because of what God has done, because we know that God is always good. That's a top-down approach. So with that in mind, the bottom-up and the top-down approach, we're going to look in... Elizabeth and Mary's life and how they lived. So let's look at Elizabeth first. In Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, turn to verse 5. It says, In the day of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, for they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So this is how we're introduced to Elizabeth. That Elizabeth is the wife of Zechariah, who is a priest that works in the temple. And Zechariah is a priest during a service. By custom, he had to go into the temple to light incense before he came out to the service. And in that moment, when he went into the temple to light the incense, God sends a messenger through his angel Gabriel, which is an archangel of the Lord, which is the messenger angel that comes and speaks to people. And he sends this angel to meet Zechariah in the temple as he's lighting the incense. And Zechariah sees this angel and is filled with fear. I mean, come on. And somebody, an angel of the Lord just came before you. You're either going to be afraid or you're going to be in disbelief. Right? There isn't really any other explanation when someone just appears before you and says, I am the messenger of God. But this messenger basically looks at Zechariah and like, your prayers have been answered. You will have a son, and you will name him John. And this is how the angel describes John to be. He says this. He says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the, their, to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of 
of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That is your son. Your son is going to be so great that, and, so, and he's going to speak and prepare the way for the Messiah to come. That is going to be your son. So what does Zechariah do? He doubts. He's just like, okay, you see how old I am? My wife is just as old. She's barren. There's, this, this is impossible. This is completely impossible. My wife is not able to have children anymore. She is beyond the age of childbearing years. And what does the archangel say? He's like, I am Gabriel, the messenger of the Lord. And because you doubt, you will be silenced. And from that moment, Zechariah could not speak. He would not speak a single word until John was born. John, the John that we're talking is John the Baptist, or the John the Baptizer, because he's not a denominational guy. He's not a Baptist. He's a baptizer. <laughs> but it's John, the one that is, is lived in the desert. He was a wild man. He was the one, the prophet that came and spoke of, there is someone that is greater than I that is to come. He is the one that set the, 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 the stage for Jesus. He is the announcer of this is the king. There's a couple things I want to point out here. It shows to the character of who Elizabeth is. It says in verse 6, it says, Elizabeth was righteous and walking blamelessly. Both, both Zechariah and Elizabeth both pleased God and they prayed, but they had no children because they were both too old. First, Elizabeth was barren, and then he's she's now advanced in age. You see, Elizabeth was a godly person. She was a godly woman. She knew who her God was and that her life pleased God. That's actually how God wants us to live. God wants us to live our life pleasing him. The other thing that we learn about Elizabeth is that she is carrying a lifelong heartbreak. She's carrying a lot of hurt. She had no children. She was pleasing to God, but her one prayer had not been answered. You see, Elizabeth understood what living for God is. Elizabeth understood that living for God isn't hurt-free, that living for God doesn't come with a hurt-free life. But the way that we hold ourselves, our disposition is what we choose, and if we expect perfect or expect things to go a certain way, you will be disappointed because we live in a broken world. Living for Christ doesn't mean living for pain-free, and Jesus even speaks about that we will live life and we will have trouble. Elizabeth understood this, and Elizabeth, in her barrenness, in the place that she is without bearing children you see back in the day the culture and the society dictated the value of a woman is in how she gives birth to children so because she was barren she had no value in her community because of the fact that she was not able to have any children but yet in that place even though people looked down on her even though in that place where she felt shame she understood her position with God. 
She understood that God had something. God is greater than what I know, and that God is more than what I know, and that God is enough for who I need to be. Elizabeth could have been bet bitter, could have been completely bitter at this situation, but she chose to be better. Elizabeth has wanted a baby her whole life, and it hasn't happened. But now, her prayers have been heard, and she will give birth to John, and John would describe by Jesus as the greatest man that has ever lived. Isn't that incredible? He was filled with the Spirit. He's going to prepare the people for the Messiah. This is John the baptizer, who is the announcer of Jesus' coming. You see, Elizabeth never stopped praying, even after they were old. That They kept on praying, even in her pain, she kept on praying. Elizabeth understood that the timing of God is better than my timing. That she had plans for her own, but God had his plans, and that she was praying and waiting in patience. Elizabeth, in verse 57, we see that she says, all my pain and shame is taken away. The miracle of John the Baptist, the, the miracle of his birth happened in verse 57 when she gives birth to John. All the community comes around her and just like, this is incredible. You and your age and your, barren, your barrenness, everything that we've known of you, you gave birth to a child. And now it's a naming ceremony, and they are na usually in the naming ceremony, you name them from the lineage that you come from. And so they're like, we're going to name your son Zechariah, and Elizabeth says, no, his name shall be John. Because that's what the, arch the archangel told us to name him, his name shall be John. And the community confuses, like, but there's nobody in your family named John. And so they go to Zechariah, who's the priest, but he's mute. So they're just like, well, he can't speak anything. And Zechariah is just like, give me a tablet. And on that tablet, he writes, his name shall be John. And in that moment, he was released and he could speak again. That community experienced a double miracle that day. One, that John was born to a barren woman of old age. And two, witnessing Zechariah, who was mute for nine months, speak again. We're going to get back to Elizabeth. But one of the things I want to highlight right now is that sometimes we feel like there's things that we've been praying for, things that we've been wanting for. Some of us have been praying to be, be parents. Some of us want to be mothers. Some of us are praying to be, to be married. We're waiting for that spouse. Some of us are, some of us are praying for our children to grow up in a place that, is, that, that they're walking with God. Some of us are praying and we feel that God is not answering our prayers. But one of the things I want to tell you is that delay is not denial. Just because there is a delay, it is not a denial of what God is going to give you. The difference in this is how Elizabeth positioned herself and that in even in hardship and suffering, there is joy. To know the difference between no and not yet. To trust God's timing in all these things. Then we're going to look at Mary. 
You see, Mary is Elizabeth's much younger cousin. Elizabeth is advanced in age. She's, she's old, beyond childbearing years already. And then we have Mary. Mary is but yet a teenager. You see, back in the day, it says in the Bible, it says Mary was betrothed to be married. The engagement happens at a very young age for, for women back then. It happens around 12 or 13 years old. And so she was, she was already engaged to Joseph at this time, at the age of 12 or 13, and usually they get married around 14 or 15 years old. Very, very young. So she is yet just a teenager. Someone that's probably just in middle school. For some of you that have kids in that age, that's how old Mary is. Young. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, Gabriel comes to Elizabeth, comes to Mary, and says this, verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. He calls her O favored one. But she was greatly troubled and at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, and there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary understood the favor aspect that the angel says to Mary is because Mary wasn't that she was sinless and wasn't that she was perfect. In fact, Mary probably came from a lower class family and Mary probably didn't have much and probably wasn't even educated in that sense. But Mary found favor and what is this favor that she found was that she lived a life from a top-down model, understanding her position with God. That her life pleased God because she understood that there is something greater and bigger and better that is out there despite my living conditions, despite where I'm born into, despite the family that I'm in, despite all that I know. That there is a God that loves me and that there is a God that cares for me and there is a God that will provide for me. That is where her favor came from. It's her position in how she saw God and her relationship to God. So Mary goes and makes this three to four day journey from Galilee, which is in the northern kingdom of, of Israel, Galilee and, and Nazareth, northern kingdom, travels all the way down to find Elizabeth, who is near Jerusalem, probably a small town near Jerusalem, where, 
We're really not kind of sure where they are, but they're kind of near Jerusalem. But from Galilee to Judah takes about a three to four day walk. It's over a hundred kilometers. And so she hears this news and she hears that the archangel said, your relative Elizabeth, who is also barren, also has a son. So she's like, okay, I'm carrying this, this child. And there's another impossibility that is happening to my relatives. So I'm going to go visit. I'm finding community right now because I need community. Because right now, my life circumstances have just completely changed. Right? You see, Mary was, carry, was carrying a burden that most of us don't think about. Because all of us think, oh, Mary is the mother of Jesus. And, and she's blessed. Yes, she's blessed. But how does a 14 or 15-year-old girl that is not yet married explain to everybody, I'm pregnant, and the Lord impregnated me, and I'm carrying the Lord's child? This is either the biggest cover-up story ever, or this is a miracle. But the thing is, Mary had to carry this burden because you know that everybody knows Mary is already engaged to Joseph and she's not supposed to have sex before marriage, yet she is pregnant, that there is going to be judgment, that is there is going to be talk, that they're going to call her things like she was promiscuous and she is a prostitute and that she, she gave herself out there before she even got married. That is the stigma that's going to come with this. And Mary knows this. Mary knows that this is going to be the burden that is going to be upon her. So she goes and finds community with Elizabeth because Gabriel has said, there's another miracle that's happening. It's just not you. This is another little bit of an encouragement for you that there's another miracle. This woman who is barren is going to give you a son, is going to give birth to a son that's going to announce your son. And so go. And so she goes and makes this three to four day journey, over a hundred kilometers, walks all the way down because there's no planes back then. There's no cars back then. We can't just jump in our car, press on the gas pedal and drive a hundred kilometers, make, make it there in an hour. This is a journey that you need to walk to. A pregnant woman walking to. So she goes and she goes and enters into Elizabeth's house. And what happens? She enters, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken to, to her from the Lord. What happened when she walked in is that Elizabeth and John were filled with the Spirit and they recognized the miracle that was happening. They understood the joy that was set before them. They understood that there is so much more to this. All of a sudden, revelation came to, to Elizabeth. He's just like, she's like, the reason I was barren is because the child I am to bear needed to come out at this time, in this moment, so that he could announce Jesus. 
See, they're about six months apart, Jesus and John. And if Elizabeth, during her childbearing age, gave birth to John, John would be a very old man to announce Jesus. But there was a timing issue, there was a timing thing that God did was that John is going to be born roughly the same time that Jesus is going to be born, and their, their ministry is going to go side by side together, and John is going to set the tone for Jesus. God's timing is always perfect, and God will do the impossible to make that timing perfect. In this moment, Elizabeth understood something. You see, Elizabeth is much older than Mary, right? And in that cult, in the cultural times of the, in, in the cultural moments and the, the proper way of greeting each other is that the older always is respected. Mary is the one that is going to come and bless Elizabeth. Mary is the one that's going to come and say, say, oh, Elizabeth, you're, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're so kind, you're so all this. And it's that aspect of respect to the elder. But what Elizabeth does is because she understands what Mary is coming for, Elizabeth's like, how am I blessed that the mother of my Lord, that there was a witness in Elizabeth that this is Lord God, this is Savior of the world that has come, that there is a witness that is there. And Elizabeth humbles herself to a place to worship. Why is she able to do this to break any cultural norm? It's because she understood that God is greater. That her position in life and how she places herself is that God has this plan and I'm just a part of it. And so she's able to break cultural norms and do things that are completely not PC in that way. She said, blessed are you. And she encourages Mary and says, you are going to be blessed. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment. And so she's just like, Mary, you came because you believed what God has to say. And you see, Elizabeth just lived through that six months ago. I believed and therefore I am with child. So Mary goes into one of the most profound sermons that is preached in the Bible. It's called Mary's Song. Every songwriter's dream to be able to spontaneously come and just have this amazing, deep theological song that comes and it preaches to the nations. So we're going to look at Mary's song. This reveals Mary's heart and her disposition. It says this, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offsprings forever. Mary's song is packed with theological depth of knowing who God is. 
she lays out at least 17 attributes of God, and we're going to look at those 17 attributes quickly here. That the reason she is able to come up with this sermon, this, this worship, is because she, in her worry, knew that God has everything in control and that I could turn my worry into worship. The only reason Mary was able to come up with this song is because she deeply understood her personal relationship with God. That she understood who her God and her king was and that she had positioned herself in a place where she was able to receive. First thing that Mary says is that God is Lord. That she knows that God is in control, that he is in charge, and that whatever will happen, her reputation right now is on the line. Her family, everything that she knows, everything that she comes from, the circumstance that God has put her in, That God is in control. That God knows everything that she's going through. That God is Lord of her life and that she trusts in that so much that this simple theology of knowing this becomes her worship, her doxology. She understands that you are Lord, so you got this. I don't got this, but you do. I don't understand this, but you do. This sucks for me right now, but you still have this. That's what Mary understood. That, that first and foremost, that God is Lord. That God needs to be Lord of our life for us to be able to see that. That we need to place him first. Second is that God is my Savior. That Mary knows that she needs a Savior. She recognizes that she is a sinner. That she needs a rescuer. That she needs a deliverer. That I need someone to save me. And third is that Mary knows that God is all-knowing. He is um, omniscient and knows her humble estate and knows it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be complicated. But God knows all of this and God will get me through all of this. Next is that God will establish her, that generations will call her blessed and we, we see this through Mary's life, that Mary in her life doesn't actually get to see that. Because Mary, throughout even Jesus' ministry, people mocked Mary through Jesus. That when they questioned Jesus, they're like, Jesus, do you even know your father? Because we all know that Joseph did not impregnate her. That even Jesus, while he was doing his ministries in his 30s, that Mary was still being questioned about the birth of Jesus and that she wasn't faithful to Joseph. Mary continued to carry that, but God says that I will reestablish you and you will be called blessed for generations to come. And now in the church today, we see Mary as a mother of Jesus. We understand Jesus as the Messiah. We see the fulfillment of all, all that Jesus has come. And, Je- and, and because of that, we see mother, the mother of Jesus, Mary, as blessed. But in her time, she did not get to experience that. But she knew, she's like, God is going to reestablish me. That my identity doesn't rest in what everybody else says about me, but it rests in what God says about me. 
that people here, we absorb so many things of what people give us as our identity. But the reality is that God has given you an identity, that he loves you and he cares for you and that you have found favor with him. Why? Through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, you have favor. That's incredible. That when we live under that new covenant that Jesus has given us favor, that all of us here sitting here today has favor, that you have favor with him, that you are chosen, that you are here because of him. That's incredible that God reestablishes everything you are and it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. Nothing, none of that matters. That God reestablishes you. Mary also understood that God is mighty, that God could do all things, that he is all powerful and that I don't need to worry because if I trust in his power and, and all that he has, that I could release all things. And he says that God is personal. Mary says that God has done a great thing for me. God is so personal to us. He's not just this God that, that is up there planning and scheming all these things, but he is a personal God that gives you and sees you and knows you. God sees you. And that God is holy. What does it mean that God is holy? It means that God doesn't do anything that's evil and God only does that all that is good that's what it means to be holy and that God is merciful that he withholds justice and in place of justice he gives grace and love and all the good things that we don't deserve and that God is worthy he's worthy to be praised and worthy to be honored and to be respected and loved and worshipped and that he is sovereign. This is deep theology here. Sovereign. In the verses that say he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble. That she knows that no matter who's reigning right now, no matter who is over me, what authority is over me, that there is a Lord that is above all, that there is a kingdom that is bigger than the kingdom that we live in, that there is a king that is higher than anything that we know that is on earth. And that the Lord is sovereign in all of these things. Beyond our understanding. And that God is gracious and generous and just. That my God takes those that have been destroyed and he gives dignity. Mary chose to believe God's word instead of fear. Mary's song is a clear example of what it means to live from that top-down approach. Elizabeth understood the same thing. What they understood together is that God is greater and bigger than anything that I'm faced with and challenged with. And this is why these two women were chosen to fulfill this great assignment that God has assigned to them. You see, Mary had a giant assignment in front of her. She was to give birth to Jesus. And this is crazy. Think about it. That you are giving birth and you're carrying the the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. But not only do you have to give birth to it, you have to raise him. I'm trying to raise Judah and I'm finding it very difficult. I feel like as a parent, I fail all the time. How do you think Mary feels in that situation? Like, 
I believe Jesus was fully human. So he experienced everything that was fully human, meaning that he had scrapes and bruises and he cut teeth just like Judah just cut this week and he cut four molars. It was a miserable week for us. He had fevering, he was crying, he was whiny. He, he woke up in the middle of the night and he was just all over the place. And I was ready, sometimes I was ready to just strangle him. I was just like, just stop, just stop. I believe Jesus did all of that too. I mean, he's probably better than Judah because he's Jesus. <laughs> he's God. And he did no sin, right? But I'm sure he experienced all that. And, Jesus, and Mary had to carry that burden of, I need to raise this baby. That I need to bring him up and raise him and teach him. I have to teach him how to walk. I have to teach him how to eat. I have to it's incredible. For those that have parents, understand like there are so many things that we need to teach our kids. Like They don't even know how to fall asleep that I have to teach them how to fall asleep. Like There are so many things that babies are almost completely useless. <laughs> That's why God made them so cute. <laughs> right? Because then you're, you're like, oh, you're so cute. I'll care for you. But Mary had this burden, this great assignment that was laid in front of her, and Mary was only able to do it because Mary understood that this is greater than me. It is beyond what I can do, but this is not what beyond God could do. And if I position myself in a place where I understand who God is, then everything else will be taken care of even through the hard times, even through the, the bad times, that God has everything in control. A Merry Christmas is a posture that we take. When we say Merry Christmas, to be merry is a state of being. It is a behavior. It is active. It says that we have joy and I have hope and I have peace and I have love because of Jesus Christ coming in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and now is fulfilling and now that it is fulfilled in him dying on the cross for us. This is the reason why we have a Merry Christmas because it restores my soul to know that it is only in him and through him that defines my posture in life. It isn't just about being happy because to be happy is just an emotional reaction to our present state. Whereas to be merry is understanding that our happiness that we experience is because of Christ and that extends, that is the extension of what Mary and Elizabeth understood already that when they anticipated their babies coming, that, they, that this will change the world that we live in and trusting and knowing that there is a joy that is set before them to endure all of this, just like Jesus had a joy set before him to endure the cross. The one theme throughout all of these things as the angels came was do not be afraid. Sometimes we live this in life where we were faced with these things, that there's fear that comes with it. But Jesus, but God says, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you, this born this day in the city of David, 
a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. Mary and Elizabeth, they live for something that is greater than themselves. And it is to welcome the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The love of the Father of God coming down in form of a man named Jesus, whose sole purpose was to save the world. As we say Merry Christmas this season, it is living the way that Mary lived. With hope, with peace, with joy, and understanding the love of the Father. So as we anticipate Christmas this season, as we light this last candle of Advent here, this candle is, represents the love candle or the Christ candle. It is a representation of Jesus, Savior of the world, coming. It is a representation of, of this season and what, what we celebrate and what we have. This last candle of light today is the candle that comes after hope, peace, and joy. It is the anticipation of love come down, of hope, of peace and joy here, and of Christ's coming. As we anticipate Jesus in the season to move as a church, that is the extension of what Jesus came to establish, which is his kingdom. So I ask you today, church, how are you going to live a Merry Christmas? What is your position and how you position yourself with God and how you position yourself with Christ? And how are you going to be an extension of that kingdom, an extension of that message of Merry Christmas? The joy set before you and seeing Christ as our goal. This is what a Merry Christmas is about. A Merry Christmas is the joy of Jesus coming. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. For you are a good God and you are a great God. And we just thank you for just your provision of your love coming down through your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we come and we look towards the season, as we anticipate the season, as we live in the season, Lord, and in amongst all of the festivities that we look towards you, Lord, that no matter what circumstances, no matter what things that are thrown against us, that we have the joy of the Lord set before us and that we live in this place of what being Mary actually is. So, Father God, give us the encouragement of Mary and Elizabeth as we live through and look through their life. Lord, give us encouragement to live the same way they did, to set you as our God, as our Lord, and as our Savior. So, Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.